Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You are listening to Scoop B Radio. What's going on? I hope wherever you're listening from, you and your loved ones are safe during this COVID-19 period. Hey, this is the producer of Scoopy Radio, DJ Manio. I would just like to take the time out to give a big thanks for the listeners to the pod. We did record numbers last month. So on behalf of Scoopy and myself, thank you for the four years of supporting Brandon on his media journey. If you have a few minutes to spare, please fill out a short listener survey. Go to scoopyradio.com slash poll. You can also share your opinions about the show so we know what works and what we can do better. That's scoopyradio.com slash poll. S-C-O-O-P, the letter B-R-A-D-I-O dot com slash P-O-L-L. Don't worry if you didn't catch any of that. The link will be in the description. You're listening to Scoop B Radio with Brendan Robinson. E.K. Manny. Manny. Yo. Scoop B Radio. You know what's official if Barry Bond said, yo, the best in the business. That's word of Scoop. You either tuning in or reading the word of Scoop. Give you the business, he show you the proof. If Scoop B say it, you know it's the truth. Sports and entertainment, he give you the mix. Some of the biggest interviews, he give you the fix. On iTunes, the number one podcast, the joint and the journalist, the GOAT. So why ask? Watch out, watch out. About it. If he naming them, ScoopB.com, do numbers like Chamberlain. Pin game is a gift, got the gift to gab. If he say it is gospel, it's as simple as that. Now pay attention and you can see the way it go. Enough of this talking. This is Scoop B Radio. You're listening to Scoop B Radio. Get on his Instagram now. At Follow Scoop him. B. At Scoop B. Follow him. Yes, sir. Scoop B Radio. In the airwaves, on the plane, on the train. Everywhere you need to be. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Scoopy. Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And make sure, most importantly, that you subscribe to Scoopy Radio Podcast, which is available on all streaming platforms Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, 
or simply by visiting scoopbradio.com. 2.1 million streams in 2019, and one of the reasons why, because we bring newsmakers to the show. No different now, it's on the line right now, with it being Hofstra Week, we got my main man, Norm Richardson. Oh, man. What's up, Scoop? How you doing, brother? How's everything? Man, I'm trying to make it happen. I'm trying to make it happen. We got all the slowdown time. It's time to be creative and make things work. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm totally with you on that one, brother. I'm totally with you on that one. So, first and foremost, for those who are paying attention, currently, uh, Norm is an assistant coach with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants in the NBA G League. How is that? What like? How is it slowing down uh, in the G League? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Do you love it? Uh, uh, you mean you said how is it slowing down? Like with the slowdown, do you lo- for slow- yourself? Do you, you love it? Do you hate it? You know what? Uh, you know it. It. I don't hate it. So totally. obviously, I miss we. I miss getting on the floor and working with our guys and you know, having the opportunity to help these guys get better. And you know, I miss basketball in, in itself. You know, just doing the, the normal, our normal daily activities, but. You know, at the same time, it, it gave me a chance to spend some time, you know, with, with my family, um, you know, more time than, than, I, than I've had in the past. So, we, we, you know, we, we've really had an opportunity to enjoy this time together. You know, it's this stuff that we haven't got a chance to do in the past. So now we get a chance to sit back, spend, you know, our entire day together, days together, um, you know, take walks, exercise together, take rides together, talk about, you know, our future. You know things that you know that we that we actually didn't have the chance to do. So I, I'm actually enjoying the slowdown. I'm, I'm enjoying the time, you know, to just sit back and reflect on a lot of stuff. And at the same time, it's, it's helping me get some some things done, um, basketball wise, away from the floor. That that's going to help me become a better coach when I get back on the floor. I would imagine that the last time you had downtime was probably about. Sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, like that. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. I, I've been, we, I've been playing basketball since I was, uh, you know, eleven, ten, eleven years old. So, you know, it's been, it's been a constant, you know, just a constant, you know, go um, as far as tournaments, AU tournaments, uh, you know, summer leagues, and all type of things you can think of. So. I haven't had time to just sit back and relax like like we've had now, and it's been it's obviously it's unfortunate uh, what, what you know what what has transpired. But at the same time, again, I think it gives everybody a chance to really sit back and reflect. So again, like I'm very I'm very grateful for the time that I get a chance to just sit back and relax and you know gather my thoughts and get my body back and my mind back right. You know, I mean to 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 move forward. Norman Richardson on the line with Scoop B Radio, a men's basketball student athlete at Hofstra University from 1997 to 2001. With an honorable mention All-American in 2001 after guiding Hofstra to the NCAA tournament and winning the American East Player of the Year Award under Jay Wright, now head coach at Villanova, uh, and, and with Speedy Claxton. Those days were magical at Hofstra. Um, I'm sure people, you run into people at the airport, you run into people in, your, in, in the city, and you know, people remember that. Um, what was that season like uh, preparing uh, for that, that, that magical run? Um, did you envision this or were you kind of like shocked like everybody else was? No, no. We, uh, you know, we, we envisioned it. Um, we envisioned it. Uh, Coach 
you know, Coach Wright was 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 is a master at motivating and um and, and giving us, you know, the confidence to believe that we can beat anyone. And I and I, I remember our first big win we had at Hofstra was versus Georgia Tech at Madison Square Garden when they were, they just came off of beating the number one team in the country, North Carolina. And we played them at Madison Square Garden and we beat them pretty good. We beat them about, I think, 19 points. And, um, and I, again, Coach Wright was really great at, at making us believe in what we were doing. Um, he instills great confidence. He always made sure that we had a positive attitude going into practices, going into shoot arounds and, Obviously, going into the games, you know, we would bring that over. And, um, you know, so the, the preparation part, you know, we were all we all bought in. You know, we were all locked in. We all, you know, had a, had that vision and that belief that we would be, that we could win out the league and, and make a run into the NCAA tournament. And, you know, and we were able to do it. We had a, a fantastic team. Um, we all were like family. And um, I got to give the credit to the coaching staff because they really – helped us believe that we were able to do it. So we weren't shocked at all, like like some people were around the, around the city and around the um, New York area. You were into the ECAC Holiday Festival All-Decade team along with Allen Iverson, you went to Georgetown, Ray Allen from UConn, Andre Patterson from Indiana, Felipe Lopez from St. John's, and Ron Artest, a.k.a. Mr. World Peace from St. John's. Um, and, and like we mentioned before, you played with Speedy, you, you were coached under um, Jay Wright. You then, for those keeping score at home, average thirteen point nine and sixteen point two points, respectively, or respectively, excuse me, in your sophomore junior season. You went undrafted uh, and played for the Indiana Pacers. So I would imagine that was a time where the Pacers were just loaded with talent: Reggie, yeah. Ron Artest, Travis Best, um, Jalen Rose. This was post Last Dance Jordan era uh, with the Pacers. Brad Miller was on that team. Man, that team was loaded. What was it like being in practice every day with those guys? Oh man, it was it was fantastic. I mean, you, if you think it's about it, you know, I grew up as a New York Knicks fan and watching <laughs> Reggie, Reggie Miller just you know just dismantle us, just take our soul. I mean, you know, year after year in the playoffs, I remember he scored eight points in like eighteen seconds and and beat the Knicks. So I, you know, when I walked into that gym and I see the guy like Reggie Miller. You know, and I and I watch his work ethic and how hard he worked and how 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 he prepared each and every day for for games um, and for the season. He was he was he was a joy to watch, a joy to learn from. A guy that I really admired and really you know looked up to and try to follow in his footsteps. It was it, the practices was, was marvelous. I thought the best part of that entire experience was training camp. Training camp was 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 terrific. It was uh it was very competitive. Um, again, we were we were projected to be one of the best teams in the East that year, so we had some great talent. Jermaine O'Neal was an All Star that year as well, so we had some really good players, some really good pieces, and um, and it was it was one of the best experiences I've had as a basketball player, and obviously one of the most gratifying times in my in my career as a player. I have spoken to many people, uh, Tracy Murray, um, Charles Barkley about Michael Jordan, Reggie Miller, and playing in that Space Jam Dome um, in L.A. when he was taping Space Jam. And one of the things I took away from that, Tracy Murray said that, you know, Michael and Reggie were ruthless. 
against each other, going one-on-one. Everybody and their mama and their mama's mama was there. And when I watched The Last Dance, it kind of put things together for me, just how much of competitors they were, but how much they respected each other. But what I find is during Michael's career, um, many people, certain players, get over or under-celebrated because Michael was just so good. And I look at Reggie, I look at Gary Payton, and I look at Hakeem Olajuwon's career particularly. Um, I guess my question is, um, how underrated being a teammate of Reggie do you think, or undervalued by certain people, do you think he was because of the greatness of others that that got maybe a bigger shine? He was extremely underrated, extremely underappreciated. I mean, if you look at, you know, you look at the era that we're playing in and some of the, the guys that we coach, you know, his name is never brought up. His, never, his, name, his name is never brought up when they're talking about, you know, you know, past great players. And this, this was a guy who played for one team, you know, for, um, I mean, 15, 16 years, however many years he was in the NBA. And he led that team. You know, he was the he was the focal point of those teams. He was the best player of those teams, the most important player of those teams. And um, he led these teams to Eastern Conference Finals, to Finals. He just happened to play in an era that had some you know, had Michael Jordan, you know, the greatest player of all time. You know, so you know, obviously Jordan stopped a lot of people from getting championships. And when Reggie did get to the finals, they played against Sha- uh, Shaquille O'Neal and the Kobe Bryant teams, who. You know, you know, we don't have to talk about how great those guys were and how great that team was. So Reggie is, in my opinion, is very underappreciated. He's one of the hardest working people I've ever seen in my life, and this is no exaggeration. I've never seen a veteran, and when he got, when I got with the Pacers, he was already a, you know, a 12, 13 year veteran. I've never seen a guy at that age, you know, work that hard. I mean, day after day, um, you know, on his craft. And he was he was a student of the game, and again, like I said, I admire what he did, and I really tried to model what he did because he was a guy that you know that you want to follow, a stand-up guy, a high-character guy, a great leader, and just a humble star. And he definitely doesn't get the credit that he deserves. You must like Reggie because <laughs> three games at Indiana with the Pacers, and on September twenty-first, two thousand one, uh, you were shipped to the Chicago Bulls along with Jalen Rose, Travis Best, and a second-round draft pick to the Bulls in exchange for Ron Mercer, Ron Artest, Brad Miller, and Kevin Ollie. And when you got to Chicago, you won number 31. Yeah. Scoop B Radio. (laughs) Uh, I would say it wasn't – I didn't wear 31 because of Reggie. I'm not going to take it there, even though I love Reggie. Uh, I wore 31 because they didn't have 21. When I got traded to the Bulls, uh, Michael, Mike Pfizer, Michael Pfizer was number 31. He already, I mean, number 21. He had that number occupied already. So I was a rookie. So I had no way to get in that number. So I had to take number 31, which, uh, you know, I just, I just added 10 points to that number and, and <laughs> put on, put on that jersey. <laughs> yeah, I was stretched a little bit. <laughs> what do you remember about those Bulls days? Oh, man. The Bulls days were, were – I remember it being a total different team than the Indiana Pacers team was. You know, the Indiana Pacers, we were we were older, had veterans, guys that, you know, that went through playoff battles, um, you know, guys that, uh, you know, that had, that had the mindset on competing for, you know, 
for a championship at that time. They were we were like we were projected to be a top two, three team in the East. So we were competing to get out the East that year. When we went to the Bulls, we were traded to the Bulls. They were on a rebuild. They were rebuilding. You know, we had a young guys, Eddie Curry, Tyson Chandler, Jamal Crawford. Uh, you know, these guys were all young guys that were trying to make their mark in the NBA. And, you know, we were, you know, we were, we were one, we were the worst team in the NBA that year. Mm. You know, we were winning many games. So I remember getting to that situation and we're thinking like, wow, this is, this is like night and day, two different teams um, that I, that I was playing for. But the one thing I did enjoy about Chicago and uh, they were, they were very professional. Uh, I guess they had a, a nice carryover from the Mike, from the Jordan days, as far as they had, a, they were one of the first teams to have a chef. Um, so, you know, uh-huh. you got taken care of when you got, you know, you got to practice and after practice. Uh, and, you know, it was a first class organization when it came to certain, you know, certain things and how they treated the players and the families of the players. So I really enjoyed that part. I didn't enjoy the losing part, but I got more of an opportunity to play, which I, which I was happy about once I got to Chicago. Jerry yes. Krause. Yes. Did you have much interaction with him while you were there? I did. Yeah, Jerry was around all the time. You know, Jerry was. Uh, you know, I always, I always had a pretty good rapport with Jerry. Um, you know, he liked me. I liked him. Um, and he was, he was around all the time. He would come on the road with us at times. Um, and Jerry was a guy. It's funny when I got traded to the Bulls. I remember my agent telling me that they were probably going to cut me when I was traded. They were probably going to cut me right after the trade. And I wasn't going to join the team, but Jerry decided to bring me in. He wanted to get a feel for me and see that, I, you know, was I good enough to be a part of that team. So he gave me an opportunity, you know, to practice with the guys before they made the decision. And when he watched me practice and they gave me a chance in the game, he decided to keep me on the team. And they were, you know, they were, they were pretty excited about keeping me around. So like I said, Jerry gave me that opportunity and I'm always grateful to Jerry for that. He was always a good guy for me. I got a chance to spend a couple, you know, a little bit of time with him at, at a couple of White Sox games during the summer. So I like Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause was good with me, and I, I have nothing but good things to say about him. Was it difficult for you to watch the documentary um, and hear some of the things that were going on with the late '90s Bulls, or had you, and had you already heard some of those stories once you became a Bull? I've heard some of those stories. I, I was familiar with a lot of those stories from the guys that was already in the organization when I got there. Uh, you know, B.J. Armstrong was a part of the organization. John Paxson uh, was, was part of the organization. Bill Carter was our head coach. So he, he was already a part of that team. So I had story. I've heard stories about it already. People already talked to me about it. And um, so when I saw it, when I watched the documentary, I wasn't as, uh, as you know, taken back as some people that was, a, that, that was first hearing about those things. I've heard about them. I spoke to them with BJ and some other guys who uh, filled me in on how those teams were um, and how Michael Jordan was as a person, as a teammate. So uh, when I watched the documentary, it was almost like, you know, I was, it was just confirming some of the stories that I've already heard, you know, when I was a bull. Makes sense. Well, that Eddie Curry, Tyson Chandler matchup, I thought it was crazy. They wore one more number two, one more number three. Yeah. Um, and that rebuild was I guess that was under Tim Floyd. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Tim Floyd was the coach early on in that season, and he got fired, mid, I guess, midway or a few games into that season. He was fired before I was traded to the Bulls. 
when I got to the Bulls, uh, Bill Cart- Cartwright was already the head coach. Yeah. So they already made the transition to Cartwright. But uh, yeah, those two guys was they they were supposed to be the you know the cornerstone around the rebuild. Um, Eddie was a, a a big talented young man, had a lot of skill. Um, you know, so they thought he you know he he would have an opportunity to be dominant because of his size and his ability ability to play around the rim. And um, and Tyson was a you know a a, a big time shot blocker, active, played hard, um, rim runner, was raw. But you can see he had a great work ethic, and he wanted to get better. He he was a sponge as far as you know him learning from the staff. So you knew he was going to have a bright future because he he was a guy that was smart, and he played hard every every day he stepped on the floor. But uh, you know it was it was fun it was fun times watching those two guys you know compete every day. Jamal Crawford, the fact yeah. that he that he's still active, um, and at forty years old, does it shock? You know what? It, it it doesn't. Jamal had a young gene. I, I used to always, I used to always say that he he looked like a guy who's gonna age very well. You know, he just had a young gene. I I remember I remember I used to I used to go to Jamal's house to get haircuts. He, he had a barber to come to his house to, to cut out hair. So I spent some time with Jamal during that time, and he was another guy who was a very hard worker, um, very talented. Um, you know, I, I, it doesn't shock me that he's playing this long because his style of play, the way he plays, he plays very effortlessly, even though he works his butt off. But he just he's, he he moves and he glides around the floor. He doesn't use a lot of energy uh, to get baskets. So I'm not shocked that he's that he's had this long you know longevity. He still should be playing. He should be on the roster as we speak. The fact that he's not on the roster right now is astounding. With a guy who can you know come off the bench and and give you instant points. Most teams in the NBA need that. So I'm shocked that he's now on the roster. He definitely belongs on one. What team do you think he would fit on? Into, I guess what roster would, would benefit him the most right now? I think the Lakers. I think the Lakers, Lakers can use another score in, um, in their second unit. Um, a guy would come off, the, come off the bench and, um, you know, and, and help, you know, help them generate some points in that second unit. When you got LeBron on the bench, you got AD on the bench. You, know, you bring Rondo in. Rondo's a big time pass, a big time facilitator. So you can bring a guy like Jamal to the bench. You can, you know, he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands necessarily to score. He can come off screens and create shots, you know, that way. And he's also a shot creator with the ball. So I think if he, if he's on that team, it it gives them a a, a whole new dynamic in their second unit, and a guy who can, you know, generate points for them and give LeBron, you know, and um, AD, a, you know, a break on the bench, they, they can take some pressure off them scoring-wise. As I looked at your career, you, you played for the Bulls, you played for the Pacers, you went overseas. Um, you spent yeah. some time in Venezuela, you spent some time in Italy, if I'm not mistaken, as well as Germany. Yeah. yeah. When you, when you look at today's NBA game, does it remind you of anything you saw overseas when you played? Uh, I, think, I think today's NBA game is, is transitioning to the European game in the sense that the NBA today is getting more analytical. You know, in Europe, they've been dealing with analytics for quite some time now. I think uh, the way the ball movement in the NBA has has changed. The NBA used to be a heavy isolation league. Now it's a lot more ball movement, pace and space, and things like that. Um, I think Europe and Europe has always been, you know, offense has always been generated through, you know, through ball movement and player movement. 
And that's something that the NBA is starting to transition to. Or they, they, they've transitioned to. And a lot of teams are doing it. If you watch the Golden State Warriors, the San Antonio Spurs, you know, and teams like that, you know, those guys are playing that way. They're playing with moving the ball, body movement, um, and playing together, you know, in, in opposed to having a heavy isolation unit um, out on the floor. So I definitely see some of the, th- some of the things that I've seen in Europe uh, being adopted in the um, NBA today. And a lot of the offensive sets as well, they're adopting. So, yeah, I do see some similarities now. The spacing is still not the same because in Europe, you know, obviously, you know, the, you know, defensively, they can sit in the paint. But the other things, like I mentioned, are things that I'm starting to see the NBA transition to. What do you think, I don't know, year or player influence that change of the NBA transitioning into more of a European game? When did you start noticing it? Who influenced it? Um, I, I would say I would I would say the San Antonio Spurs was the first team that I that I started to 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 watch that reminded me of you know a team of a team in Europe because of the way they moved the ball they were an excellent passing team uh, uh you know and I think this was 2013 2014 somewhere in that that in that in that time frame that they just was moving the ball and a lot of player movement and they were playing together. There wasn't a lot of isolation basketball with them. I thought that was the, that was the time that I thought the NBA was starting to transition, you know, to, uh, to more of a European style of play. Um, and then obviously once the, the Golden State Warriors came along with Steph, Steph, Steph Curry, you know, he just, you know, revolutionized the three-point line and, and the way you space the floor and the way he moves without the ball, him and Klay Thompson, you know, the, the Golden State Warriors started doing the same thing, just ball movement, great ball movement, great player movement. And I think about 2013, 2014 is when I started to see, you know, the NBA transition, you know, to, to more of a European style of play as far as ball movement and player movement. That's real. You've been on a lot with Norman Richardson. G League um, has definitely been a, a, a breeding ground for um, guys to go – potentially make it to, you know, an NBA roster. You look at guys like, uh, well, Sharif Abdurrahim is the president, but you look at guys like uh, Jeremy Lin, uh, who has, you know, made that jump, um, and, and others. Um, what do you think um, of just the overall play of, of the G League this season and the fact that they changed the name from D League to G League? Like, how much do you think that it's helped players um, really take that step to potentially make it to the NBA? Like, how, how 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 involved are you guys in preparing them for potentially making it to the next level? Well, we're very involved. We're very involved. Uh, we're, we're basically an extension of our NBA club. You know, we're an affiliate of the Indiana Pacers. And, you know, you know now with the G League, the G League is an is a outstanding league um, for development. It gives it gives the players, you know, the prospects that are drafted or guys that are two way players now today, which the G League has, an opportunity to to play. I think the best way to improve as a player is that you have to get out on the floor and play, and that's something that we didn't have when we were younger players. We didn't have an opportunity to get on the floor and play in real game live live game action mm-hmm. to to gauge whether we were getting better or not, you know, in, 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 in that sense. 
But I think now with the G League, what it provides is a minor league team that mirrors the NBA team from a culture standpoint, from a system standpoint. And we implement those same principles and same same systems to help our players that are sent down as as prospects to uh you know to, to develop in that system to see can they one day you know potentially you know play in the NBA in our system. Uh, if you look at the Toronto Raptors, they do a man magnificent they did a magnificent job with with Siakam and um Pascal Siakam and Fran Van Fleet. We did a good job with Edmund Sumner who who signed a three-year deal with the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I think uh, the the, uh, the um, San Antonio Spurs did an outstanding job when they had Jonte Murray, they had Derek White. So they had guys go through that system in the G League before being bumped up to the NBA team. So the development started in the minor leagues where they got a chance to play, gain confidence, know exactly what their role should be once they become a part of that NBA team full-time. I think the G League is, is an outstanding program and it's only getting better. Sharif Abdul-Rahim is doing an outstanding job of moving this thing along. And, I, and I'm just excited to see, you know, the, the continued growth of that league. Yeah, and you produced an NBA champion head coach in, in Nick Nurse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nick Nurse is, you know, <clears throat> and you got, you know, you got Nick Nurse, who's a former G League head coach uh, who won the championship. You have Taylor, you know, Taylor Jenkins, um, who's uh, the head coach of Memphis, who's, Who's, who's doing an outstanding job in Memphis. They're, they're currently sitting in the eighth seed in the West, which everyone knows is very difficult. Memphis struggled for years, and now he's the head coach, and they're one of the better teams in the, in the league. Quinn Snyder, who won a, a, a G League head coaching um, championship as well. Now he's a Utah Jazz head coach. So you have many coaches who was G League head coaches who had an opportunity to move on to the NBA, and they're having success. And I think that's another thing that's important to watch for because – in my opinion, in my opinion, the G League is the most difficult uh, place to coach because of all of the the, cha- the changes that happen throughout your season. You never have the same roster. Guys are constantly moving up and down, or guys are being released, so you have to adjust on a day to day basis from practice to game. So I think it's a difficult uh, place to coach, but it prepares you to coach at any level and anywhere. Tell me something, Pascal Siakam. Um, were you coaching against his team when he played in the G League? I did. I coached against his team. I was the interim head coach for uh, the Erie Bayhawks at the time when he was playing in Toronto. Yes. Are the Scottie Pippen comparisons fair? Um, I would say, I mean, I never heard of a comparison, but I would say I, I can see why someone would compare him because his length, his athleticism, his ability to guard multiple positions. Um, I think defensively you can compare them more than you can offensively. He has a different kind of offensive game than Scotty. You know, I thought Scotty was more of a point forward. Um, I think Siakam is, you know, was more of a, you know, a wing, a guy who can, you know, who can get to the basket and score around the basket. He has a very uh, unorthodox way of scoring. You know, getting through seams. Um, he's an improved three-point shooter, especially out of the corners. Um, but defensively, I can definitely see the comparison just because of his length and his ability to guard on the perimeter and guard multiple positions. I can see the comparison there. Yeah, and I, I, I said this um, to kind of reel it in a little bit. I had Phil Handy on the Scoopy Radio podcast recently, and we, him coaching the, the Raptors. Um, I asked him if he, you know, saw the, the Pippen um, 
Jordan comparison as it related to last season's Raptors with Kawhi and Siakam. Um, he said that he sees it. Um, yeah. The way that um, Kawhi was able to move the ball, get to the basket, and do some things, basically transitioning from being a systems guy in San Antonio yeah. You know, then being the guy in Toronto and then, you know, being the guy in Los Angeles with the Clippers. And so what I said to him was when I look at Siakam this season, he reminds me of Scotty the year uh, that Michael went to, retired and went to go play baseball. Yeah. Um, if you remember, Scotty averaged about 22 points per game that season and, you know, let your Knicks fan, uh, grew up with Knicks fan. He led the Bulls to the, at the league semis against the, uh, Against Knicks. the Knicks, yes. And so when I look at Siakam this season particularly, um, it reminds me a lot of Scotty, uh, the year um, that Michael went to go play baseball in comparison to when Kawhi left to go play for the Clippers. Yeah, I, I can see that. His his production is, 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 is absolutely just as, it's just as good as Scotty's, if not better. I mean, he's had an outstanding year. His first time All-Star. I mean, he's one of the, he's one of the, Obviously, one of the better players in the NBA today, um, and you know to see him leading that that team after you know losing a, a guy like Kawhi, you know, you know he he obviously the comparisons are obviously fair, you know, you know when when you when you look at it from that standpoint. I just I'm just trying to break down you know how they play, you know when you compare them, you know how they play as you know as as players. I just think Siakam. Is a little different <clears throat> offensively than Scotty yeah. than Scotty was as a player, just just because Scotty, you know, was a point guard growing up, and you know he just grew into you know to his body, and he was able to continue to play that point forward role. When Siakam, who can handle the ball, he's still more of a wing, a guy who you know who who is growing into his offensive game, his offensive repertoire. And, um, you know, I think he scores a little different than Scotty did, and he creates a little different than Scotty did as a player. But defensively, those guys are very similar as far as, like I said, those guys being, being able to guard multiple positions. But as a, as a duel, for him and Kawhi, you can see that Batman and Robin type yeah. of, you know, duel with Scotty and Mike. So I like that comparison for sure. Do you think that analysts and players and just people in the basketball world at large Use analogies and comparisons of past and former players too much. Um, I don't think so. I think you have to. I think you have to use. You know, you have to in some way use former players to to uh, you know to 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 gauge you know the potential of the guys that's coming behind them. So when you use when you're looking at a player, you know you're going to have to use comparisons. Who does he remind you of? You know, to in order to 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 make a, a fair assessment. I think that's that's the way you have to, you know, you have to uh, 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 analyze these players today. You know, when I, if I'm if I'm looking at a guy coming out of you know college, you know, I need to see who he reminds me of so I can gauge exactly what I think his potential is. You know what I mean? As far as being a, being an NBA player, so I don't think I don't think it's done too much. I think sometimes it's done too loosely. You know, I think we 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 uh. You know, we sometimes we sometimes you know compare some of these guys to guys that I don't think are are you know they don't warrant the comparison. I should say, you know. So I think it's done loosely, but I don't think it's done too much. If that makes sense to you, no, that, that does make sense. Grady High School's own 
Norman Richardson on the line with Scoopy Radio. New York City basketball um, is used to be celebrated. Um, it was a whole school of, of greats uh, pre-internet era. Uh, Kenny Anderson, Kenny the Jet Smith, um, Stephon Marbury, and, and the list goes on and on. When I look at New York City basketball, I think Rod Strickland was ahead of his time because he took his talents to Oak Hill. Bronx guy with the Oak Hill and, you know, played basketball at DePaul. When I look at today's basketball in New York City, I feel like a lot of players don't stay in the city. They go to prep schools and then they don't play at a St. John's and more. Um, do you think that there will be a renaissance where guys will be proud to play in the city again like they were in the 80s and the 90s and even maybe even before? Oh, man. You know, I had this conversation um, recently with a, with a New York City high school coach, and I was, I, was, I was curious to know why there were so many high school kids leaving New York City to play elsewhere. And, um, and again, I, I, haven't, I haven't got an efficient answer uh, or sufficient answer as of yet. Um, I'm hoping that one day, you know, the, the, the good players from New York City would stay home and continue to finish their high school careers in New York City so we can bring back that mystique, you know, that, 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 you know, that mecca feeling that we always talk about in New York City um, because it's not there anymore because, like you said, so many, so many of the great New York City high school kids are, are leaving, you know, before their high school careers are done. And, again, I don't know why it's happening, but I do think it's important that the, that the grassroots level uh, coaches in New York City figure out a way keep those guys home so they can, you know, continue to build New York City high school brand of basketball. Um, hopefully guys can start going to places like St. John's and Seton Hall and Villanova, you know, staying in the area and making the Big East what it once was again. Um, but, you know, again, I don't know the reason behind it. I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that it would change. I don't know if it ever will. Unless, you know, unless, you know, the grassroots guys come up with a plan to keep those guys, you know, keep those guys back home and figure out a way to, to build, you know, to build New York City high school basketball back up to where it once was. Because right now it's not where it once was when we were coming up as players. Who did you grow up watching um, and idolizing uh, in New York City basketball last Oh, it started. It started at home. You know, I had an older brother who play, who went on to play at Providence College. Um, he was the reason why I got into playing. He was the first guy that uh, that influenced me to start playing basketball. It was him, and it was you know, and it was a, it was a kid named um, Maurice Brown who who went to St. John's. He these are two guys who went to Grady High School, the same high school that I attended later on. Those are my first two guys that I that I looked up to as basketball players, as mentors. Um, they really allowed, you know, allowed me to be around them and, 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 and follow them around when they went to play in different tournaments and in high school. So those are the first two guys that I, that I, really, that I really looked up to. And then the, the, the one guy who was like a big inspiration for me who came from my neighborhood was Stefan Marbury. We grew up in the same neighborhood. He was a big influence on a lot of us that came from that neighborhood. Um, so we, you know, we really was inspired by him, you know, in his, in his journey, as far as making it to the NBA and, and having an opportunity to be a great player. 
he inspired us. So those three guys were the guys that I looked up to. And when you talk about an NBA guy, Magic Johnson was my favorite player coming up. So he was my idol as far as the NBA guy when we were coming up. That's real. Speaking of on the line with Nolan Richardson. Um, last question. Jay Wright <clears throat> won the national championship with Villanova. Um, has well respected. Was he as well of a dressed guy back then <laughs> than he is as as he is now? Yes, he was, Scoop. Yes, he was. This is uh, you know, this this is this is nothing new, Coach Coach Wright. Uh, one of the reasons why, you know, I, I well, I'll tell you this. When I was coming out of high school, I didn't, I wasn't a big recruit. I actually begged Coach Wright to give me a scholarship. And when he, when he came to, our, I remember he came to a home visit to meet with my, to meet with my mom. After I already decided to go to Hofstra, he was shocked. He <laughs> always had these nice Italian suits. They were always custom made. And they, you know, they were, they were really sharp with him. So when he got to Villanova and he started to, you know, to get this reputation as, uh, as the best dressed college basketball coach, it wasn't no shock to us. We already, we already knew that that's, that was his style. And, and, and he was, it was nothing new to us. He's, he's still that way. He's always going to be a fly guy. And I love how he dressed. I'm trying to take some pointers from him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with it. Here's the good news, man. You're off the hot seat. Thank you. I appreciate I, it, brother. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Have a good one, man. And this is Scoopy Radio saying, you bring the coffee, and I'll bring the Dunkin'. Kaboom! Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 